0: America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Om Shanti, the time that we choose to be aware doesn't necessarily require me to just sit and meditate. But even while I walk and move around, I can be in a meditative awareness, which is awareness of the soul, the original, eternal, imperishable being of light. For a little while, I'd like to invite you to be present, to be here, and to be now. Allow your mind to settle in the moment. To relax. This meditation is about awareness. It's about becoming aware of your original and eternal self. About connecting to your truth. Let go of your name and observe yourself feeling nameless. Let go of your gender discontinue thinking you're a man or a woman let it go and observe how you would feel walking around without a gender let go of the role that you play and let go of the titles that you own Hello, everyone. Welcome to America Meditating Radio. That was letting go from my latest album, Inclusion Revolution, Together with Love. As you know, I had to dig deep into the Constitution, the preamble, the Bill of Rights, to see what do these words actually mean in our lives in the United States with all that's going on. How do I understand what this means? How, with what we're going through, how am I supposed to show up? You know, the how is always so important rather than the why. And so I hope you really dive into the intention of that album. And one of my favorite tracks is the one that you just heard. So life continues to turn. The wheel just never stops. Ups and downs, ins and outs. What goes around comes around. You know, travelers to different countries are familiar with the word samsara, and I have to give um, a, a plug here. When I was in California, I had the wonderful experience of um, having the COO Stephen Powers offer me a private tour of the Wiz Dome. And please go and Google that. I think it's Wiz W I S D O M E. dot com L A Dome L A. And I was floored by their exhibition called Samsara, which took you through a journey of all these domes. And then the final dome, you had this beautiful video presentation of the, the change of time, the change of consciousness, all the things that we've gone through. And so if you're not even sure of the word samsara, it's really about the wheel of life. And it can be depicted in textiles, um, pottery art, folklore. And the idea tends to appear frequently in religious and philosophical text, um, both in India and also in ancient Greece, and maybe around the first to the millennium of the BCE. But although the concept might be firmly rooted in many of older cultures, it is less prevalent in the West. So we're learning a lot about it. And it implies that all species reincarnate or move from one body to another to enjoy lifetime after lifetime. And there are countless versions of how this recycling can actually take place. Some schools of thought suggest we move between and across species while others think that maybe we just take one birth and go to another. We don't go into human forms. So imagine if you and I are just carrying leftover experiences of previous births. Could that be why we tend to see things from a different hindsight? Like we look at each other differently, we understand things differently, we interpret things based on the experiences that are sitting inside of us. So my truth and your truth are truths. But when we come together, they don't seem like truths. Which is why I feel like there is um, a call for us to each understand universal truths so that even though we are different, we don't have to have this difficult experience between one another. So if I can understand what are the universal laws that I'm responsible for maintaining, then even if you're different than me, then I can still apply those universal laws like um and like respect love, to be heard, uh, humility. These are all universal laws. And I can show you my love in different ways, but I can, and I can show you my humility differently than you show me your humility. But when we come together, even though we might be different, our souls should feel the similarity of the kind of self-respect and self-worth that we carry for ourselves individually. So it doesn't create a lot of chaos. Does that make sense to you? So those those are my thoughts for today and just thinking about how am I and, and how am I showing up and what are the cycles that are going on inside of my head, but to also be able to be light about my realities and the re- the things that I'm observing within me, that it's okay. It's okay if I'm a mess, but at least let me figure out my mess so that we can work this out together. And I love the times that we're in. They're bittersweet. They're bittersweet. On one side, it feels like hell. And on the other side, you can see the trees of heaven approaching. And so um, we're like in the middle of that. And we're trying to find the best way possible to navigate through this particular period that we're in. And that gives me great joy to welcome our next guest, Mia. Mia Lux merges the playful and the profound. Drawing on her experiences as a stand up comedian, personal growth junkie, and former high school teacher and recovering lawyer. I love that. She originally got into stand up comedy as a way to learn how to fail, a sincere effort to overcome the perfectionist practice that kept her in the perpetual burnout as a lawyer and a high school teacher. In the process, she wound up working in the personal development space, originally as Director of Content for Global Transformational Education Company, Valley, and eventually stepping into her role over the past five years as host and facilitator, specializing in top wellness and personal development events around the globe. But Mia always kept a toe in comedy and found that laughing is just more effective than lecturing. Her newest project, Conscious-ish, which I love. The Conscious-ish show is the baby of both worlds. It's a late-night style talk show that takes on topics that really matter, such as health, self-love, depression, spirituality, and much more. I had the privilege of watching an interview she did with our beautiful sister, Dr. Andrea Pennington, on self-love. And so if you haven't gotten the chance to view that, I'm a little bit biased because I love Andrea and her absolute intelligence. Go and check that out on her show. But her mission is to make the world's most powerful ideas more accessible by making them truly enjoyable. She says if you're laughing, guess what? You just might be learning. It gives me a great pleasure to welcome Mia to the air. Hi, Mia. Thanks for joining us.
1: Hi, Sister Jenna. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So Andrea told me you and I are, li- you and I are like two peas in a pod
1: well, I actually saw you have a concept that you work with called wise-ish. And so I think she's
0: yeah,
1: right. I love I think so
0: and I think so. And she just says, you guys are going to love each other because as deep as you are, you're so funny and you're so easygoing that both of you are just going to click. So I'm happy that she brought us together. So let's find out a little bit about your journey. Oh, my gosh, a lawyer, stand-up comedian. Can I tell you the second lawyer I've met this month? that has gone the complete opposite direction to what their profession used to offer them. I met um, J.Q. Legend, who was a civil rights lawyer for 30 years, who is now a hip-hop artist.
1: Wow. Uh-huh. That's, that's uh-huh. a full 180. It's amazing.
0: Yes. So tell us a little bit about your journey. What was it like growing up and being you?
1: You know, it's, it's interesting. There's actually quite, I think there's quite a lot of lawyers who do it, who do, do a 180. You know, and I you was know, thinking that, for a lot a lot of us, we don't grow up with a very strong spiritual context, or i mean I know certainly I didn't have any kind of framework for understanding life except for the material framework and so right. if you are an intelligent, articulate person, you get kind of shuffled off into being a lawyer like it's just that's where they file you and uh and so so for me, certainly, I ended up there um not intentionally, not particularly consciously, but just because. The momentum of mainstream life swept me there, and um, I think, like a lot of people who who end up like that, I was, you know, very depressed, very anxious, very unhappy, uh, very unfulfilled. And for me personally, like I, I, the way I ended up in any spirituality, any personal growth, ended up in meditation was was just catastrophe, just sheer mm-hmm. catastrophe. You know, burnout, severe depression, uh, suicidal, just having no mm. context for what is the purpose of being on this planet. You know, I'm doing everything people tell me to, and it feels terrible. I'm trying my best to help, <laughs> and nothing's working. And, and so for me, you know, and this is one of the reasons why I, I am such a strong advocate for comedy, is that trying to go from that reality with no spiritual context and then trying to mm. get into personal growth and spiritual reality was, was a really challenging journey for me. Um, it's very intimidating. If you, if you don't yeah. already have one foot in the world, you, go, you try to go to a meditation class, and it can be everyone looks like they've got their stuff together. And they know what they're doing and they have the right words and it can be really easy to feel like you don't belong. Uh, So it took me a moment, you know, to go through the cycles of really understanding that the material world around me wasn't all there was and and really just the the existential pain that I was feeling encouraged me further and further to, you know, to dip my toe into into meditation, to, you know, like read the books and ask the questions that, you know, I, I didn't have the opportunity to explore when I was younger. I think a lot of lawyers, who especially lawyers who swap out to something else, I think that's a very, it's a very similar journey.
0: <laughs> I get that. Now, as a perfectionist or former perfectionist, it's interesting that comedy has been your balancing quota. And guess what I've been doing lately to balance out "quote unquote" my deep way of living is singing.
1: singing. Oh, really?
0: And I've never sung and I often thought that if I ever sung the roof would collapse, people would <laughs> run and nothing would work out right. But I don't know what it was. I was with John Legend I think about a, a few weeks ago and we were in this new video shoot for a new song that he's releasing on February fourteenth called Love One Another. And I think it was I mean, he'll with inspire all of these. anyone
1: to sing. Amazing.
0: I don't know what it was if it was just being in all that energy with everyone and us all just liming together and I don't know, but I was at a lecture at a place, and I walloped out John's song, and I was like, "Wow, that didn't wow. sound too bad."
1: <laughs> how did it feel?
0: Liberating. I was yeah. liberated, Mia. I was absolutely liberated. I felt great. Is that how you feel with comedy?
1: <laughs> you know, I uh, no, actually, I I, I wish. I, I actually, before, a similar thing with singing. I will sing alone to get the liberation. Comedy has a different impact on um, perfectionism because, like, comedy can be the, – honestly, the the majority of what you have to do as a stand-up comedian is very painful because it's, it destroys your ego. Mm-hmm. It, you, you literally – you know, most of the good journeys of a stand-up comedian is getting up in front of groups of strangers who don't really care about you, who don't really want to listen to you. They're often just comedians who want their turn, and, like, sharing something you've created and getting – no positive feedback, getting no validation. It's it's often a very painful experience for the ego because you have to literally you're going through failing over and over again in front of people and, and having to mm-hmm. learn how to re internalize your sense of of who you are and what success means in the face of not getting clapped for, which I think many of us are, are brought up, especially if you're a perfectionist, you're brought up to be high achieving to get lots of positive feedback to go where the positive feedback takes you and so stand up stamp comedy is liberating in the sense that through walking through the fire, you come out on the other side you know with a with a detachment to that validation like being willing to do something because that's what feels right for you or that's something you want to work on, having something go horribly wrong and fail like which you experience the pain of like people staring at you and being like, "Oh, what is this person doing?" and being like, I still, I'm still good with myself. Like, this failed, wow. but I'm not a failure. So, so <laughs> it's liberating in that sense, but it's, it doesn't start as a joyful process. Like, I, I found, right. I used to say, you know, going to open mics was, was like going to church for me. It was a spiritual practice mm. because I had to really step into the, the bigger context of, like, my ego is telling me, if you get up there and nobody laughs, you're going to die. Like, you're going to die. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know, go do something. People will clap for you. And, and learning to really step into like the true self is, is part of that journey. To recommend it to people, I'm always like, just go do some open mic. It's, it's very good <laughs> to get in touch with the truth of who you are.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. Can you give me a little context such as um, that particular, let's say, those few months before you building up the courage to go on stage for the very first time? to do comedy and could you share with us what was that experience like after well during that first time on stage
1: yeah. and then
0: afterwards. Do you remember?
1: Yeah, of course I remember. You know, I was I was a high school teacher in New Zealand. That's that's where I grew up and you know, after a lawyer I realized the lawyer wasn't the right role for me. I retrained to become a high school teacher and I loved my job. I worked with kids with um, behavioral learning difficulties you know in, in a very challenging school and i loved my job but i, I ended up working like you know, like 17 hours a day creating my own curriculums and resources and i and i literally burned myself out to the point where i was bedridden and i had to quit mm-hmm. my job and it was it was like absolutely heartbreaking because i felt like you know i'd let everybody down especially the kids that i was teaching and when i reflected on like why do i keep seeming to burn my body out like what is this behavior of like Trying, 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 and crashing, and I realized it was like my brain kept perceiving that I was failing. You know, I would teach my kids for a week, and they wouldn't immediately change overnight. I'm like, I'm failing them. Work harder. And so I asked myself, okay, if, this is, if I'm so afraid of failing, and it's literally destroying my body, what is the best way to learn how to fail? Like, what is the scariest thing you could do? Like, what's the most, what's something you can do you can't avoid failing? And I was like, it's, it's stand up comedy. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. And I wrote a little, you know, five-minute piece. And in New Zealand, a stand-up comedy night, there's actually like 50 people in the audience. It's a pretty big open mind. And just getting up and doing it. And no, it wasn't amazing. It wasn't like, oh, she's so good. I just did it. And I didn't (laughs) die. You know, I felt I felt shame, I felt fear, I felt all this stuff come up where, you know, that, like physically in my body, flushing and, you know, that panic reaction, right, which is what drives us to avoid it. But when you go through it and I realize like, oh, I didn't die. Nothing terrible happened. It created for me, I think, a sense of immunity, like broke a story I had in my head, like a compulsive survival reaction I had, which was, I think, was like, to be lovable, to be acceptable, to be worthy, I have to be a, I have to achieve highly at everything. I think it helped to break that story down.
0: Beautiful, important. Um, laughter is a very big thing. And it's funny, because I've been also observing that we say a lot to folks and we get maybe a little instant high for a little bit, but then we go back to being what we once were. It's not like there's been huge transformation. But time and time again, you'll always remember a happy moment. You'll always remember something that someone said that just cracked you up that you laughed so hard that your tears wouldn't <laughs> stop flowing, right? Yes. So <laughs> share with us like the power of laughter and why is laughing infinitely so much more effective than lecturing to spread ideas.
1: You know, I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, something you said uh, earlier in this program really sort of stuck with me, which is about you know we are all different, right? And finding finding a way to hold our differences within the greater container of our of our deep similarity and like human mm-hmm. commonality, like that is really what the differences fit within. And and one of the reasons I'm such an advocate for laughter, especially now, is that as we take ourselves more and more seriously and as we identify very seriously with what makes us different from each other. You know, we have this very interesting divisive moment in time where you feel like, well, I'm this and I believe this and you're that and you believe that. It's so getting that gap between us is widening. And if you look at it, like just from a perspective, of, like how do you get people to hear each other? Like how can we actually sit with someone who has differences from us and feel that compassion and connection, understanding? And the truth is like you can't do it through serious talking like just like we know this from like a from like literally a psychological neurochemical way like our brains when we when we go into that like core identity this is who I am this is what I believe when people present you with facts that counter that They've shown it. They put people in an MRI scanner and they present them with factual articles, and ideas that counter their core belief. And what it does is it drives them into the amygdala, which is the, you know, the fight or flight fear response. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people perceive intellectual threats to who they are the same as physical threats. And so you have this backfire effect where now instead of actually being able to hear each other, you're now deeper in who you think you are versus them. But laughter does the opposite. It does the complete opposite. It's like a stress um, activator and then a relief. And so when you get people laughing, they, their brains open up to listening to ideas. Laughter mm-hmm. is how, you know, as human beings, we communicate safety and connection to each other. So if you can get a group of people laughing together, first and foremost, it changes mm-hmm. their brain chemistry it, they they look at each other different. They go, like, oh, we're all laughing together. We must be part of the same tribe. We must be safe together. And then your ability to listen to each other to, or to receive ideas that would otherwise be really complicated, like your brain your brain rejects them because it's too it's too threatening, it changes things. And so I just see, like, if we want to really have meaningful dialogue across complicated and, and oppositionary kind of ideas, I think laughter is essential. Like, imagine if they mm. started every kind of, you know, negotiation or mediation with some way of finding something common that everyone could laugh about. I think it would literally change the whole course of how that mediation would go.
0: Well, I'll tell you, in Washington, D.C., we need a lot of laughter because there's some stuff going on here, girl. Nobody knows what to do. And I believe in that. Like, haven't you lectured at spaces where after about maybe seven or eight minutes, you can just feel like the energy gets a little bit lower Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. you just express being you you know, the the one in the journey of growth. And, you know, you see the laughter just illuminate the room for that five seconds, mm. and then you feel like an ah happen, and everyone's ready to go the extra mile for another 10 minutes. So exactly. I do believe we need that more. Yeah, there's definitely something very powerful in it. Can you maybe share a little bit about laughter's ability that can sometimes help us to also overcome cognitive bias? I know you just did a little bit, but when you think about, like, the way that we... Get information that sometimes we tend to reject it because we're so hardened that if we could just laugh a little, it would just open up more. I know you talked a little bit about it, but any other words or thoughts that you could just help our listeners to really understand what laughter is actually doing for our lives?
1: Um, absolutely. I mean, th- think about this in the context of our day-to-day lives. So let's say with you know maybe someone in your family or a spouse or even just friends. You know, when some someone comes to you and they say to you. Hey, this isn't working, this is what you're doing wrong and they come in an accusatory kind of way, like, I'm accusing you, you're doing this wrong. Like we tend to like shudder up. Even if they're right, even if like I agree, something else kind of closes and gets defensive. But I'm sure all of us have had the experience where like someone will come and in the right moment they can kind of make it a bit funny, like make like light like lighten it up and share their experience with a bit of a joke. And our ability to then soften and, and like, laugh because it's true is so powerful. Because when we laugh at something, like, you'll see a comedian tell a joke about relationships or about this, and we laugh, even though maybe we wouldn't admit to it if someone pointed it out about us. That kind of sort of laughter approach allows us to kind of see the parts of ourselves or the aspects of ourselves that we're defensive about or we can be fearful about and to be more open to, like, having insight. Like, we call it, like, ha ha aha. You know, like listening to a, a story or, or a comedian sharing a, a, a deep human truth that we would struggle to receive if someone was, like, lecturing us about it. There's, there's a softening that it allows. So we know, like, it's just a better approach whether you're teaching somebody, you know, whether you're bringing up something difficult, you know, in an interpersonal relationship. It just it creates this beautiful middle ground where you can you can emotionally meet somebody, where you're out of judgment and you're out of fear and you're out of defensiveness.
0: Okay, I love that. So, silly question maybe. Um, have you ever found yourself not really wanting to laugh but feel like you really have to laugh?
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, know, you know, I actually had like one of the greatest personal growth tools and spiritual tools i ever had is like whenever I'm in a very, like I'm having a moment or I'm angry or I'm fearful or I'm sad, I'll always ask myself, I'm like, is it funny yet? And, you know, when yeah. I'm really...